0: Hey there. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the podcast. Listen, quick updates. We have a lot of apprenticeships coming up. All over the world. Remember, the apprenticeship is for anyone. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach, fitness professional, anybody in sports performance. These are leadership-based courses that focus exclusively on communication, elements of social science, conflict resolution, and power dynamics in the workplace. So we have a lot of them coming up. We've sold out our one in Winnipeg, Canada. We've sold out several others. We do have spots left. For one in April on April 18th and 19th in Atlanta that is in Decatur and you can find all of these at artofcoaching.com backslash events again artofcoaching.com backslash events we also have another one that we're running in Chicago I have a lot of good friends in Chicago I've been wanting to get back there for a long time so I'm really thankful to the folks out at Wattage for having us out we're going to be doing that May 2nd and may 3rd again in chicago illinois and you can find all of these on our website remember there's early bird and super early bird discounts still going this can save you anywhere from 100 to 200 dollars, and again this is for every single vocation so please 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 if you like the podcast if you like anything else i put out These live events are always the most in-depth resources. And guys, these are fully CEU approved. You're going to get 18 contact hours worth of credit. That's 1.8 CEUs. So definitely check them out. All right, on with this episode, PJ Nestler, He's a good friend of mine. This one was recorded also in mid-2019. So uh, PJ continues to do some pretty incredible things. I think you guys are going to love this episode. Be sure to check it out. All right, PJ, take it away. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I'm joined today by my friend PJ Nessler. PJ, what's good, man?
1: It's all good, Brett. Brett, Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. PJ, can you go into a little bit about your background? You don't need to do the whole diatribe, but a little bit about your experience as a coach and now everything you're doing as an educator and an entrepreneur for the
1: audience? Absolutely. Uh, My background comes primarily from sports performance. I got into the industry aiming at being a division one strength and conditioning coach for football. Uh, so I got into strength and conditioning on the collegiate side and I uh, did that early on in my college days through playing football and then, uh, went through that spectrum for a little while. I worked in the collegiate setting. Then I, I transitioned into the private sector and I started working with a handful of different athletes. Um, I really enjoyed working with football, hockey, and fighters. Fighters is one of my big passions. So, um, I started working more in the private sector specifically because I really wanted to work with fighters. Uh, and in the private sector, I started transitioning into, I became the director of the facility I was at. So I was kind of pushed into some leadership roles and was forced to really start to figure that out. And and a lot of the companies I worked with, we didn't have a lot of systems in place. Uh, I shouldn't say a lot. We didn't have any systems in place to onboard coaches to get things, um, you know, systematically run. So that was something that I was always seeking in the way that I learned. I was always looking for somebody who could give me some sort of system to expedite my understanding, but I never really found that. So when I was pushed into a leadership role, I just started creating that. Uh, And that was probably seven, eight years ago. Uh, And then I kept kind of transitioning. I started onboarding interns and and young coaches and I really started teaching them. And I I enjoyed that a lot. I had a passion for sharing just my experiences and and trying to put those things together and just the challenge of trying to put my thought processes around training into a system they could understand. Uh, So the more I kept doing that, I I ended up becoming the regional director of a few facilities. And as my roles continued to expand, um, my education requirements across the different facilities kept expanding. So I just kept going further and further into that. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, fast forward to a couple years ago, I ended up quitting that job to start my own business that was geared towards trainer education, um, running mentorship programs, and really just guiding young. At that point, I'd been coaching for about 10 years in the industry in a variety of different settings. Um, so I was just geared towards really helping young coaches and trainers understand how to train athletes and also a little bit of how to uh, run the business and, and um, how to look at the business side of especially the private sector, you know, the stuff that we don't get taught and, and a good amount of the art of coaching as well. So I was trying to put all those pieces together in a little education um, system. And then very soon after that, I, I got picked up by XPT that was really looking for somebody to do exactly that, to take this really cool concept that they've been doing in these retreat experiences and systemize it into a program that could be taught to coaches and trainers. Uh, so I saw that as an opportunity to just do what I really enjoyed doing on a much larger scale. And I jumped on with them about two years ago. Um, and now I'm working through their parent company, Movement, uh, to actually do the same thing across a uh, their whole spectrum, their whole of of companies that they work with. So I'll be doing that a very similar process for about ten to twelve different. Um, fitness performance brands
0: so a lot to chew on there and like just to recap and you you started wanting to work with different teams a wide variety of athletes you started working for other organizations then you started out kind of your own business right like because what you learned from the process management of of being able to get these systems in place and when you say systems I imagine that's everything from the training systems to intake to uh, data collection right like when you say systems just for the sake of our audience like what were, what were those systems that you were trying to put together that guided you both when you were working for corporations, when you started your own business, and now when you became, you've become, whether you want to admit it or not, a notable figurehead for another global organization? What, what are those systems that are so crucial that you think um, you know, anybody listening, regardless of their profession, just needs to be aware of when they're first starting out or even as they're evolving within their current role?
1: Yeah, it was everything from the the beginning of kind of developing your brand and and creating a a, um, a vision of who you want to be, and then how you communicate that and connect with people, so you can actually bring them into your facility, uh, and then talking with people and onboarding them, getting them from a person who walks in the door to a person who trains at your facility, and then uh, going testing systems. You know how we would actually test our athletes and tracking and then really the, the bulk of it is the training side, you know, how we systematically go about training athletes, designing programs, all of that. Um, and then a good amount of the continued follow-up in terms of the art of coaching, how we continue to keep people engaged and a part of our, our uh, curriculum. And then and, and, how to sorry, be a professional, ahead. you know, all of the other intricate pieces that go into the business side of it from, you know, how we keep keep the facility clean to how we dress like a professional and everything in between.
0: Like, is that something you feel like is, you mentioned we don't get taught that in strength and conditioning. And, you know, I've talked about on this podcast before that it's almost rebelled against, right? We're taught to be professional in terms of how we handle kind of the weight room. But what do you think it is about strength and conditioning coaches in general, where there's been this big kind of rebuff against embracing the business side of what we do? You know, like where where is it that people get so mixed up in terms of thinking that oh you starting coach pj.com and this other stuff like what what's the line between selling out and evolving in your career because we like i bring up this example all the time right like we know people like steve jobs didn't just sit there and make macbooks right like bill gates throughout his whole career uh, isn't the one making windows right people evolved within their job. But a lot of times strength coaches, what keeps them from evolving from the weight room to the boardroom and things in between, I feel like is this idea of like, Oh no, you're only a coach if you're on the floor. Did you, did you struggle with that? And if so, what were some, what were some key elements that you just looked at and you're like, no, I like I've got to get over that.
1: Yeah, I, I did struggle with that. And I think, and then I saw every young coach that I worked with struggle with it as well. And I think it's this weird disconnect from the sales side of things, you know, as coaches, I think we get into the business because we love helping people. We love training people and we love learning the science of it. And we are just put off by sales tactics and things that seem salesy because it's just, it seems like for some reason it seems so against what we do. And I think it was hard for me. uh, And I think part of it too comes from the people who are usually teaching us those things don't understand what we do. At least a lot of the facilities i have been to, the marketing guy or the, the salesperson always came off kind of as a sleazy salesperson and didn't really understand what we do. So one of the big things I tried to work with uh, when I had to transition to a leadership role was, how can I communicate this stuff in a way that speaks to coaches. And that was something, you know, for me, even stepping off the training floor and feeling like I didn't have my hands on athletes anymore as much, I wasn't going to have an impact. And I had to really look at, okay, I'm not going to have a direct impact with these athletes because I'm not training them one-on-one, but I am going to develop these coaches to be better coaches. And I am going to develop a framework that's going to have a bigger impact across all the athletes that come into this facility, not just the ones I can work with. So that was one thing for me, was was trying to see the bigger picture of where I could have an impact. Um, and then understanding on the sales side of stuff. I, I don't know at what point this clicked for me. Um, I did a lot of reading into business and, and um, communicating what you do, the value of what you do. Um, and you and I actually spoke to this a few times as well back in the day when we first met. But one of the big things that connected for me was understanding that we're not selling somebody something. There's no, you're not, it's not a sales tactic. You are trying to communicate the value of what you do. And if you believe that the value that you're going to give them is more than what you're charging them, then you're doing them a favor. So if I'm going to charge you $3,000 for a month of training with me or, or a month of being a part of my system, but I believe deep down inside that I'm going to give you more than a $5,000 value, then in reality, I'm I'm just trying to communicate to you that I'm doing you a favor because I know I'm going to put my heart and soul into everything to help you achieve the goals that you set out when you came to me. And I know that I'm, I believe I'm the best person in this area to help you get there because of my experience, my knowledge base and my commitment to it. So that was something for me that I, that really changed my mindset on that. Um, and allowed me to understand that, you know, this is a high value service because I know the amount of work I put in. And and the more I started seeing other people in the industry, the more I realized I was putting a lot more into what I was doing than what these other people were doing. And I was getting better results. So I had no problem saying that, Hey, I, I know that my price is double what all these other people are charging. Uh, That's okay if that's not for you, but this is the value that this service is worth uh, and the more I started doing that, the more I started realizing that I was getting better results with people because I was getting people who are more committed to the process and that just continued to fulfill that. Uh, you know, I think people are nervous at uh, at the start to do something like that. But then when you finally do it and it starts being successful, you realize that this was the right move all along. But it's hard for young coaches and people uh, to understand that because there's just this disconnect from the sales side of things. And you see well, a you lot of that up, pushback.
0: Yeah. And, and you bring up an interesting point there with, uh, let's just let's stick with pricing and pushback there. You know, I, I remember in college when I was getting my dorm room set up, right? Like you always want to just find the cheapest stuff, right? Like I'm going to buy this cheap, that cheap. And then it breaks all the time, right? And there's a point in your life, or at least I know mine, where I'd look at all this stuff and I'd be like, who would pay $400 for a vacuum? Who would pay this? Who would pay that? You know, what a bunch of suckers. <laughs> and to a degree, like, there's elements of that right but and then you get older and I like I had moved I think four or five times and I had I had enough of about like I think I was on my like fourth Walmart vacuum that was like <laughs> 40 and eventually I'm like screw this like I'm buying you know this higher price one at Costco and my wife and I have had it for like 10 years and you start looking at you start understanding as you get older and you move like all right cheap things tend to break a lot and that like, there's a difference between cheap and things that are of value, right? This doesn't mean that there's something that isn't priced reasonably, um, you know, and then, and then like also has value, but it is tough in strength and conditioning because almost everybody wants everything. They want every clinic to be $35. They want everything uh, you put out to be like 20 bucks or they want it free or they want it this, you know, when you look at other industries, there are clear cut delineations between these pricing structures, right? Like, um, it's a conversation they're more comfortable with having because they kind of that value recognition is there. Where do you think that barrier is in strength and conditioning of why we're so insistent on everything being cheap? Because I used to think it was just because none of us make a lot of money as strength coaches, but then you look at the fitness industry and you look at some other industries and there's people that make, you know, around the same price range or even less, and they have no trouble paying, you know, sometimes two to three times as much for whether it's education or this and that, where, where is that mindset shift, uh, have to have to occur in strength and conditioning, even as it comes to their education, you know, because uh, like going to, I mean, you guys run a pretty with XPT. Now you run a pretty high price workshop and, and an event and an experience. I like that term. Like say somebody looks at that and says, PJ, you're crazy. If you think I'm going to pay that, like, how do you deal with that blowback?
1: Yeah, we deal with that all the time and and I think for us it, again it's the same it's the same thought process as when a client came in and said this is $150, you know, this breaks out to $150 a training session and the guy down the street is 60. And I always would tell them that, you know, you get what you pay for in this industry. So when it comes to those kind of courses, we we price the things based on the quality and the amount of content we put into it. You could, you could go take a $200 course and it's usually going to be, I shouldn't say that there's some, de- some decent courses with some good information that are lower cost. Um, but it's a very low barrier to entry. At this point, anybody can create a course on anything. They don't have to be an expert. They don't have to know anything. They just create a course, put it online and you can buy it. Um, so with the amount of uh, resources that we put into these courses and the amount of time that we put into them, we want to make sure that it's priced at a point that people take it seriously. And that's the same thing with my training. I I price myself at a rate that I know I would be able to commit myself to the amount of work required to get the results. So when when I said it's $3,000 to work with me for a month, I know that it's not the $150 a session because I'm going to go far and outside those sessions all the time. I'm going to be your resource 24 hours a day. Uh, And I'm going to help you get to your goal as as much as I possibly can. And I know what that's worth to me, because if you're only paying me $500, I can't commit that kind of time to you because I'm going to have to have 26 other people that are paying me $500. So I'm going to have to basically focus on training you for that limited time. Um, And the same thing with our courses, we know that we can put the amount of resources into it uh, to really make it a worthwhile course for people and to make sure that we get serious people who come and take it. Uh, And that's what I did with, you know, I'm not going to put that kind of time into a client who's just showing up for workouts uh, because if, if I'm putting in a hundred percent and they're putting in 20%, we still won't get the results. So I want to make sure that it's something that they take seriously. And it's just like that, that vacuum, you know, if you bought that $40 vacuum, yeah, it's probably going to break down on you, but also you probably don't really give a shit about it. So if you accidentally dropped it down the stairs or you, you know, got it dinged up, you're not going to really care. When you buy the $400 one, you're a little bit more careful with it. When you pack it up, you're, you're taking more care of it because you've, you've put uh, you've invested something into it. And that's what we really wanted when we create our courses is people to understand that this is an investment. Uh, We don't want everybody in the uh, industry to be an XBT certified coach. We want people who are serious, who are going to take this serious because it's going to be a lot of work, uh, a lot of preparatory work to get ready for the course Um, you know, I think when people invest a a little bit of money, they also have the mindset of like, okay, now I've paid my $200 now teach me or, or train me, you know, versus, Hey, I've invested $1,500 in this course and I'm here to work. I'm here to, to to get my value out of it. And I'm going to make sure that I do that. Same thing for the people with training. Uh, it's not, Hey, get me my results. It's, I've put a lot of investment into this because uh, you know, I've already invested the money, but now I'm here to invest the time and the work to get this thing done. And I think that's the disconnect people have. Uh, and in the strength and conditioning industry, I think it, it is a little bit of the none of us make any money from the start. So we're looking for cheaper things. And then people have just started to, uh, to go that route. So the, the more people continue to feed that at the, at the bottom level, the more coaches keep jumping into it. And if all of a sudden you get somebody who's a, a pretty good named coach who's running a program that's super cheap, then you've got all the coaches like, well, this guy only charges 300 bucks for his workshops and these dicks over here charge 1,500. So who do they think they are? Um, and that continues. You know, people are in the race to the bottom when it comes to pricing and that just brings everything down.
0: Yeah, that is, it is an interesting point, right? And I think people when you talk about just under understanding value, and it's something we continue to harp on in here because a big goal of mine is to try to, you know, get strength and conditioning coaches to understand a little bit more about why we struggle with the things that we do. A lot of it has to do with our mindset and the way that, you know, we behave and the things that we communicate subconsciously and consciously to the outside world based on that stuff. And when you're constantly, you know, shouting, Hey, we'll do this and we're not worried about what you get paid and, Uh, we want this and we want just like this expectation, right? And the way they communicate it, I've talked about it a lot. You, you, you put it perfectly. It's a, it's a race to the bottom. And I think the key thing that people have to understand is like what you said, you don't want, not everybody needs to be your audience. I think that was a big growth point for me when I quit trying to please everybody Uh, initially getting on social media. I'm like, I'm not going to wow anybody. And I was worried about, you know, what, what certain gatekeepers in the industry would think. And then I realized like, I'm not really doing it for them. You know, and similarly, it sounds like what you guys are doing, whether it's what you put out with coach PJ and what you're doing with XPT now and, and all these other things, part of that is just knowing your market and being okay. Like I know I am really okay with uh, a person that says, Hey, I'm not going to buy your course or I'm not going to do this. I just want you to answer my question over DM at the end of the day. Like I'm okay losing that person as a quote unquote follower, because that's a person that's never going to want to dive deeper. Cause you know, I, You get it all the time, right? And I, I, this is one of the things that I really loved about following you, and I still do. Is you would do these Q and As, and instead of trying to oversimplify things just to give somebody an answer, you weren't scared to say, "Hey, like, man, you're asking some pretty complex questions about breathing here. Like, this is beyond the scope of of a quick kind of Q and A." It reminds me. Yesterday, I got a, a DM from somebody, and it's well intentioned, but they're asking, "Like, hey, what do I do if this guy's got this shin angle when he's sprinting, and he's got this issue?" and he hadn't sent a video or a picture and I just said, Hey hey, brother, you know, I'd I'd love to help, but like, there are so many things that go into sprint mechanics and, and speed. Like I can't answer this over a DM. Now, if you want to chat about it, let's set up a call and 99% of people won't ever set up a call. And you can take that one of two ways. Like, Oh, like they don't really, you know, value this or they don't view me as an expert. Or you can say like, no, just a lot of people don't want to put in the work to be an expert at a higher level. They kind of want that microwave answer. And you you look at the other side of the equation, you have what are called like Veblen goods, right? These are like luxury goods for which the quantity demand increases as the price increases. And like, these are those things like $700 bags that people buy, right? Or a pair of $1,000 shoes or, you know, I have a friend that's a big sneaker head. And so I remember he was trying to find the red October Yeezys and it's like a a contradiction. That's that's all the stuff that I buy. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a contradiction of this like law of demand so it's like you'll see strength coaches who will spend like 10 g's on something or they don't want to spend anything at all and they don't realize that there's this other and if they are spending 10 g's they are kind of buying into the voodoo stuff and it's almost kind of it's just a tricky thing and so the the blowback's always interesting because you put nothing out you don't share you put something out it's too expensive and then it's not cheap enough And let's talk about the things that you guys are discussing more at XPT and the things that you lead, because talk about like value added. I thought that this was something unique about what you guys are doing. You could have just as easily hopped into the market about, hey, we're going to teach you how to do this exercise. We're going to teach you how to do that. But you guys are teaching really in-depth information and application around things like breathing and resilience. Where did this come from? Where did all the focus on breathing come from? Why did you think there was a market for this? Uh, how has it help people just go deep on this?
1: Yeah. And the thing I love about XPT is it was all organically created. It was not like, let's create a business and see how we can make money. It was literally Laird Hamilton in his backyard saying, I want to improve my performance in surfing and I want to be a better human. So how can I do that? And he just was seeking out friends and experts. And, you know, he had guys like Kelly Starrett and Wim Hoff and all of these people who would come over and train in his backyard. And the whole process was just about let's explore, let's do some things for us. It was never, let's try to create something for other people. It was just like, Hey, I mean, Laird is such a curious person. Um, As you know, you met him. He's just, he's nonstop curious about things that he can continue to do and ways he can make things better. Uh, and so when he started doing all these things, he kind of put it together in a little bit of a, a system that he did and him and his group of friends did. And then this group of friends just kept growing and growing. And people were like, man, this stuff is so amazing. It's, it's having, you know, this is more than just a workout. This isn't fitness. This is really changing a lot of areas of my life. So eventually after they had this group of people doing this stuff for five years, uh, one of, uh, Gabby's close friends, Jen said, we've got to do, we've got to invite other people. We have to share this with more people than just the 20 people who come to your backyard three days a week. So that's when they started running these little retreats. And and the retreats were just like, it wasn't really put together into a system and framework. It was just like, Hey, let's just share this stuff with people. And when people started coming to these events who were not, who hadn't been doing this for five years, who weren't in Laird's inner circle, people would leave these two and a half day events and say, man, this is amazing. This stuff changed my life. You know, I, I started doing that breathing, when I got home and it, it, it affected this, this, then this area. And the more anecdotal evidence started building up, they were like, there's a lot more to what we're doing here than I think we even really, uh, understood. And that's where they started saying like, and, and obviously Laird loves research. He reads books, he reads research all the time. So he knew that there was strong implications for people's health and performance. That's why he started doing a lot of this stuff. Um, but then they saw that that was an opportunity where we could start sharing this with more people. And, and that was the goal. They had people coming to these retreats and Laird and Gabby said, we want to continue to help people. We only run six of these retreats a year with about 25 to 30 people. So we're maxed out at a couple hundred people a year we can impact. But a lot of these people then go home to New York and say, how do I implement the lessons I learned in Kauai into my life in New York? Because I don't have a 12 foot pool in my backyard and, and the breath coach and all these things. Um, so that's really what we aim to do: was dig deep into these things uh, that can really help people, and share with them smaller tips and tools, so we can continue to scale that out and have a bigger impact. And that that was what they said the goal was when they hired me: was we want to help have an impact across a, a much larger scale. We believe these methodologies can help people. We've seen it with thousands of people who've come through anecdotally, and we believe that this stuff can have a bigger impact. Uh, and when I started diving into, especially the breathing originally, the breathing and the mindset pieces of of what they teach, for me it was such a missing link because uh, I, I was always so in depth into elite human performance, and really it was all athletes. So I was looking at you know maximizing speed for an NFL combine athlete, and that stuff was really cool and also and really fun to learn and to share with people. But the the challenge I always had with myself was when I started teaching this to coaches and sharing, there was always something in the back of my mind. that was like, there's really not that many coaches out there who are ever going to train an athlete for the NFL combine. So it's cool to teach this stuff, but I always was limited in the impact I could have because there was, it just wasn't relevant to 99% of the, the population and even 99% of the training population, strength and conditioning. So when I started finding how this breathing could impact elite athletes an elite military and yoga instructors and my mom and everybody in between. uh, That's when I was like, man, this stuff is really powerful. And if we can just communicate it, um, you know, and one of the things I found was a lot of what we were doing is already out there being taught. It's just being taught in a different way. It's a lot of it's being taught in yoga, but not in the right, in the same way. And guys like us who are strength and conditioning science performance minded people, when we're approached by the kind of hippie yogi, who's like, Oh, it's about meditation and breathing and you want to lay down and flow and be conscious. We're like, "Uh, no, we don't, we don't need that. Get the hell out of here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I said five years ago when I had a friend who started trying to teach me some of this breathing stuff, I was like, okay, I'll take that one piece that makes sense for my athletes. And the rest of that is, is kind of hippie foo-foo type stuff. And what I realized was a lot of the, lessons she was trying to teach me were really, really good. It was just the delivery platform didn't connect with who I was as a performance coach. So that was something that I hope to do. It's like, how can we bring this really powerful stuff to help people improve their lives? How can we bring this to the type A performance uh, uh, type people, whether that's executives or, you know, science-based kind of coaches, how can we bring this stuff and, and package it in a platform that connects with them and that they understand. And that's what I think XPT has done really, really well. And that's why I'm so excited to share the stuff that we do.
0: Yeah, but PJ, all right, slowing down a minute, right? One, we got to go back because we want to make sure that people know who Laird is, like Laird Hamilton, Gabby, all these things. And then two, for the people out there, I mean, like, let's say, let's be honest, there are a lot of neophiles out there, right? People that are just obsessed with novelty. And that's, this is where I think a lot of the blowback for education in our space comes from and even entrepreneurship in our space is people just think that anybody that's an entrepreneur, as you mentioned, is peddling shit. Now let's be honest, right? Let's say somebody goes out and they have no idea who Laird is. They have no idea who Gabby is. They have no idea who you are. No idea who anybody involved with the XBT team is. And they see you crazy bastards in a pool because I I, want to make sure all the listeners understand like what's going on at these places. You guys are doing workouts in, in like what ideally a super deep pool or fairly deep pool, deeper than average. And I'll let you discuss the details in a minute, but I'm just going to set this up. And you're doing exercises called ammo box and you're going underwater and trying to do lizard crawls with dumbbells in your hand down and back. And then you've got something called cell phone, where now you're swimming on your side, holding a dumbbell up and you got some crazy asshole swimming with a, uh, a, a 20 plus kilo weight vest on. And you know, then other people are learning how to free dive and then you're purposely teaching yourself how to hyperventilate and there's all this shit going on, you know, wh- and, and they think, are you kidding me? Like, this is just, you're going to tell me that this makes a difference. What, do you, what are you saying to those people? I mean, what are they not seeing? And, and like, w- without them having the chance to go through it, and I went through it, right? Like I came out there and I, like, I'm, I, I was a lifeguard and I feel confident in the water, but when people are like, hey, you're going to do this and you're going to be upside down and hold your breath and then you're going to hyperventilate and do 40 push-ups," I'm like, all right, this is interesting. But what do you say to those people that look at it and just think it's a, a gong show and they don't really get it? What is it really teaching them that that they're missing?
1: Yeah, I always say a lot of coaches come to us and, and ask what are the physiological benefits of the pool training or the ice bath? It's one of the most common questions I get. And honestly, that's what I first looked for when I got involved with XPT because that's my mindset. I'm a science-based guy. Okay. Yeah. That stuff looks kind of cool, but how is this actually going to improve the performance of my UFC fighters that I trained? Cause I was still training a handful of guys when I joined XPT. And one thing I found digging through the research is there's actually a a pretty good amount of physiological benefits to the the movements. But I always tell people, if you can't, if you come here only looking for that, you're, you're severely missing the point. Um, and that's the tough part about it is, is making sure people experience it so they can understand the bigger picture. But it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like relating it to yoga. You know, if you, if you go to yoga, cause you have tight hamstrings and that's all you get out of it is thinking yoga is for stretching. You're really missing the point of yoga. Um, but I think the difficult part is people have to be at the right point in their lives to understand what this next level of consciousness is. And, and the biggest thing I think, and something that I've seen carry over to my UFC athletes, um, to myself personally, and even over with the military people we work with, and then everybody in between, uh, is the psychology side of what we do. Um, You know, we're we're trying to work on certain ends of the performance spectrum, where we're exposing people to different types of stress that they don't normally face. And in doing so, we're forcing them to really, we're, we're really breaking them down psychologically and forcing them to deal with some shit, some real fear, stress, anxiety, and then be able to overcome those those things. And and that's one of the things that I think transcends from the pool to the ice bath, to the breath work and everything in between is the psychology element of it. And, and as we know, when it comes to elite performance, that is the number one factor in all other things. I could work on the technical skills, the tactical skills, the physical traits. I could make you strong. If You could squat a ton of weight. If you don't have the psychological uh, component locked in if you don't have a what they you know call a champion's mindset those are the people who we see who can dominate on the practice field and can't put it together on fight night or or on game day Um, and that's one of the things that I've realized with XPT that we are actually able to train and something I neglected early on until I started doing it a lot with athletes and realizing that it was putting people in these situations where they had to deal with extreme stressors and then giving them the tools to get past these things. And that's where it becomes irrelevant of the physical thing they're doing. Uh, For example, I'm going to do a workshop specifically with a handful of uh, NHL players. And it's the entire purpose of the workshop is they want to work on their mindset. They want to work on staying calm under stress uh, and using these kind of tools. And one of the, the things that I think is really cool is let's use UFC fighters as an example to get those guys to a point where they think, I can't do this. It really doesn't exist in most training. These guys go train against the best fighters in the world for two straight hours and fight against them twice a day. So there's not many things that they run into in life where they're like, Oh, I can't do this. And they're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and all of those feelings that might come up on fight night as they're walking out to the cage, all of those uh, negative thoughts. But when you put people in the pool, that stuff comes up really quickly and it's a safe environment. Cause I, The only way to get people to that point is to break them down so hard physically that it's really just not worth the cost. So if I took you to the beach and I just ran you into the ground, like Navy SEAL style boot camp training for three straight days, you'd probably, and and sleep deprived you, you'd get to that point, but at what cost to you physically? Um, Whereas we can do that stuff in a lot of the methods that we use, and then we can give you some of the psychological tools to overcome these these stressful events, this anxiety, this fear that's going to come up. Uh, and then allow you to practice that, and continue Which practicing, and actually proving that. DJ?
0: Like, what are like for people that are listening and they're hearing you say that? Like, what are those tools? You know, because I want them to understand. And, and uh, you know, having having dealt with fighters myself, and and understanding aspects of anxiety and and all those things. If somebody's listening right now and they're like, "All right, this guy, cool." Like, again, they're running these events, and it sounds like he's going and working with some teams. Uh, by the way, I'm sure those teams don't complain about price. Uh, But it works either one of two ways, right? Teams are like, Hey, man, you get a lot of credibility doing it for free, or they actually respect it because they're a part of the organization and and pay you what you're worth. Um, But what are these tools when you're saying like we we give people the tools to deal with it? Can you can you rattle off a few? All right, quick interruption here for a second to thank our sponsor, Momentus. Guys, it's that time of year again. Uh, my NFL guys are back in full swing, and Momentus is the only uh, performance supplementation I give any of my athletes. They're also the reason we can keep this podcast and so many other things that we do going. They're huge supporters, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I heard you said it on a previous podcast. We did 939 hours of free content uh, last year, and none of that would be possible without sponsors and people like Momentus. So make sure you guys check out livemomentus.com. They're absolutely the cleanest, safest supplements on the market. They're the only ones I recommend. They have whey and plant protein for all day use, whether you're more into the strength side of things, endurance, everything is fully NSF for sport approved. I promise you'll love it. It's simple. Uh, And guys, like, listen, at at the end of the day, you want to know what you're putting in your body. That's straightforward. There's no other sales pitch than that. And there are tons of whey proteins out there. If you just do a Google search that have all kinds of ridiculous things in them, these guys go through the strictest testing. I love them. They're great people. So again, livemomentous.com. If you use code BRETT20, you'll get $20 off anything on this site. All right, back to the episode.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest ones is breathing. Uh, giving people the, the breath is one of the biggest remote controls you can use to your brain and your nervous system. So not only because it's hardwired into your physiology, there's actually specific breathing tactics you can use that have physiological responses and psychological responses by focusing your mind on the breath and eliminating, you know, by simply focusing the mind on the breath. That's why so many meditations do that. It'll, it takes your mind off of these things that are creating this psychological stress and that's that 's one of the big things we try to teach people is most of the stress we encounter today is psychological we don 't we 're not constantly running from danger and, and chasing down prey uh, you know all, all of the daily stressors we face are psychological, but they have physiological responses in the body to that stress, just like if I was uh, you know running away from danger so we give people these breathing tools where they can they can downregulate those physiological responses and they can anchor their mind onto something other than whatever's creating that fear and stress and anxiety. So that's one of the biggest ones that we teach. Um, and there's a, a handful of different small little tactics that we use. Um, but they're all based on a handful of different, uh, psychological and physiological triggers that the breath can create. And then the other ones are mindfulness tools like visualization affirmations, and positive self-talk. And those are three of the most powerful that i found um, really in working with elite operators, uh, you know, people who are at the highest level of sport and in the military and finding, you know, not only through the research, but as we all know, there's a lot of research that doesn't actually transfer over into practical application. So when I started digging through all this research and then talking to people at the highest levels, dealing with the highest levels of, of stress in the real world, like military, I started realizing that there's a lot of these things people do. Sometimes they don't, they do them without even really being taught them or, or putting a word to them, but they're all doing things. Yeah, absolutely. So those are some of the tools we use in the pool where we can't use your breath because you're not breathing. Uh, Then we're using things like affirmations in order to control the mind um, positive self-talk or just controlling your self-talk. Some people can actually use negative self-talk as a, a motivator, but we focus more on positive self-talk uh, because we, we understand that when fear and anxiety take over the mind, it's a snowball effect of negative thought. Your, your brain goes into this negative cascade because your body's hardwired to keep you alive. Every system oh, so in your just, body.
0: Just like writing things on the wall, like uh, pain is weakness leading the body, that's not enough?
1: No, no, no. Unfortunately, those, <laughs> those little motivational quotes don't go very far. Um, and that's something we work with people as well It's just trying to, you know, we continue to put them in these situations and, and tell them, hey, whatever the affirmation is, whatever the thought is that helps you, some people need something that's like makes them feel tough and strong, like, I'm a warrior, I can, I can accomplish anything, blah, blah, blah. And then some people is just reinforcing staying calm for me in the pool. It's just saying, you're doing fine. You just stay relaxed. You've got plenty of air. You've got plenty of oxygen. You're fine. Just focus on one more stroke. And that's, that's the next thing we teach people is how to shrink down the goal because the anxiety comes in when you focus, you know, how to be present, I should say when you're in the pool, as you know, if I say I want you to swim there and back with this weight without breathing, when you get halfway there, you're like, Holy shit, there's no way I'm going to turn around and make it all the way back. And people give up when they get halfway to the wall. But if you focus on, okay, just get, get, just get two more strokes or just get to the wall, just get to the wall and push off. When you shrink that obstacle down, when you shrink that goal down, then people find that they can overcome these things. And again, this is the kind of stuff that we're taught all the time in goal setting and in, in all of the, uh, the business books we read and the, uh, the self-help stuff, but it never really comes to something where we can practice it. So you know, we we don't implement it into high stress situations, so it doesn't transfer over. And then we get in a high stress situation and we don't have the tools there. We think we do because we've read all the books. We've never practiced them in gradually increasing stressful situations. So those are some of the tools that we teach people that transcend way outside of the pool training, the ice bath. I always tell people when they come to our experiences, if you never get into a pool and never get into an ice bath again, when you leave here, hopefully you leave here with some of these tools that will transcend, that'll take you into, uh, for me personally, dealing with being in an MRI machine because I'm extremely claustrophobic, or an airplane, which luckily I had the tools when I joined XBT, I learned a lot of these tools because I now fly twice a week and I hated flying. And I had borderline panic attacks 30% of the time I flew. Um, So luckily I had some of these tools that transcended outside of the pool and the ice bath and allowed me to have control in these other higher stress areas of my life. And that's really where this stuff I think has such an impact for people. And that's why it's, it can be applied on such a big spectrum.
0: Yeah. And I wish I would have known that about you earlier, by the way, because I would have messed with you a whole lot more, um, on the, on the flying (laughs) and pretty much all those things. Now here's an important question. I hope we haven't lost people, you know, to this point, uh, what type of individuals have you found gravitate to these experiences, meaning strength coaches, physical therapists, folks in the corporate setting? I know it's been a wide swath, but by and large, what, is, what have been the majority of the attendees and the people who also not have just come, but are the most open-minded about it? Do you find that there's a, a demographic or an archetype that, that comes in and they're just you notice that they're more about exploring growth in these areas than others?
1: Yeah. Uh, the people who come to our experiences, it's funny because if you did a, a specific demographic background, you'd see a, a wide variety, but there's one thing that a lot of them share. Most of them are go-getters, type A people, and most of them have driven the car too fast, too hard for too long. Whether that's physically, whether that's in the in the workplace, they've, they've realized that they've come to a point where they can't just keep putting the pedal to the floor and they need to learn other ways to uh, continue moving forward. And most of them, it's because they've, they've gotten to a point at some point in their lives, whether they've, they've worked themselves to death for the past 15 years and they're just not getting the results that they want. Maybe they've made a ton of money, but they're like, this isn't doing it for me. Or they've uh, been driving so hard in the gym that they've been going high intensity workouts every single day and crushing their bodies. And then realizing that now I'm 39 and none of my joints are functioning the way that they should. And everything hurts. Um, and that's the thing that people always, no matter what area they're coming from, they're always at some point in their lives where they're like, I need a shift. I need some sort of change. I need some sort of shift that, that's going to help me to continue to live the next half of my life or the, the next 30 years better than I did the first 30. Cause what got me here is not going to continue to get me there. Um, and those are the people that are, they come to, uh, to learn what we do. I think because they're still go-getters, they're still type A, they're still, you know, I always say like our breath work is meditating for non-meditators. Um, you know, our, our ice baths and our pool training is meditation and forced mindfulness and, and learning to be present for the non-yogis. Because we're putting you in these higher stress performance situations that people are attracted to, but we're not destroying your body in order to get there. Or, um, so we're giving you a lot of the same tools, but we just package it in a different way. And that's the demographic of people that come to, to a lot of our retreat experiences. Um, and then on the other side for our coaching certifications, it's usually coaches and trainers who are, again, looking for that next level most of them have probably had experience training people. They've, pretty, they've they've nailed down the programming and the exercise science principles and they've realized that, yeah, that, that gets people really good results. And after you've done that for five to 10 years, you're like, this isn't it. This isn't the only thing, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm getting people fit and they're gaining muscle and they're feeling better. And, but there's, there's still something missing here. I still feel like I can have a bigger impact on these people's lives and there's, there's still areas that these people struggle with. And I'm trying to, to create a, a, uh, a better human, not just a fitter person. And a lot of those people then are start looking for what are some other ways we can have a bigger influence in people's lives outside of the gym and outside of the, the hour that I spend with them. And those are a lot of people who come to our courses as well, looking for um, ways. So, so people come to the experience and people coming to the certifications are usually looking for the same thing the biggest difference is the people coming to experience are usually looking more for themselves. The people coming to the courses are usually looking for themselves and being able to teach it and, and influence others.
0: So, so if I'm hearing you right, there's a type of, you know, there's a personality, there's common trends in personality, the type A, the pushers, everybody that wants to continue to, to drive these things home and just continue to excel, learn, 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 go, go, go. But you haven't really seen vocation specific. You haven't seen like ratios where we tend to get more people from, uh, let's say college strength and conditioning, or we tend to get a mix of uh, people that own their own facility, or you know what? Physical therapists actually tend to make up more of our demographic. I, again, I know you've seen a mix, but I, I think what I'm curious here is again, it's just I'm, I'm fascinated in the mindset of professional development within our field, right? You know, within performance in general. And I try to find, uh, or I tend to find that there's these trends. I remember a clinic I went to recently. I mean, there was a coach that got up and he had, he had been in collegiate strength and conditioning for about uh, 15 years. And he said, listen, I don't do these things often. I don't really believe in clinics. I don't really believe in this. And that kind of took me back because, you know, I, I got my start in both the private sector, but also collegiate strength and conditioning. And I think that's one of the most special spaces there is in, in our field. But I also just have, have noticed that there are certain demographics that are a little bit more close to this. My buddy's a physical therapist. And you know the, the type of education he sent, he tends to expose himself to uh, is pretty broad. And so, uh, just a friend and I were talking about that recently. And we're always worried. You know, we're always trying to figure out like, is it our own bias? Is it what we're what we're seeing? And that's why I was curious as to what you've seen with with XBT because it is so different. Because it's premium priced. Because it requires so much engagement, and people can't just sit back and watch if you did see a vocational uh, divide there at all. But it doesn't sound like you, you've seen a huge one or I, maybe I didn't hear you correctly.
1: Yeah, the, you know, the, it's funny you mentioned that because I'd say the, the least represented community in the, from the fitness spectrum, you know, we, do, we get a ton of personal trainers, uh, private sector performance people, uh, physical therapists, doctors, military. We get a lot of that population. The population I'd say is the least represented in our first group of about 200 plus certified coaches is strength and conditioning. I think we've had less than five people that I can think of off the top of my head who are working in a team-based strength and conditioning setting, whether that's high school, college, or professional. Uh, I get a few people from like the professional ranks or collegiate who will reach out and want to talk about some things we're doing, but in terms of actually attending the courses, that's the least represented group I think in the the um, fitness and performance space.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know when I went out there, there, I I don't think there was anybody else. Uh, any idea, have you guys talked internally or you thought about like why that is?
1: I think personally that it's the same reason I turned away this stuff five years ago, because as a strength and conditioning coach, a lot of times we're looking for the hard numbers of what's going to improve my athlete's vertical jump, uh, what's going to improve the the actual measurables that I'm looking at on the field or, or in the gym. And I think a lot of times we, we as a population, because we're so science and numbers based, we turn away anything that that's not, that doesn't have that validation. doesn't have like, here's the hard data behind it. We've had 200 plus athletes who've come through and we've improved their 40 yard dash and their vertical jump and, and X, Y, and Z. Um, most of what we have is, I mean, we have tons of research behind the methods that we use, but th- those research studies are all based in kind of pulling what people are studying and then creating our own protocols around those. So nobody's actually gone and taken the exact systems that we use and then studied them over the course of time. So because there's not 200 peer-reviewed studies based on exactly what we're doing, um, a lot of people, I think, just turn it away. and, and, unfortunately I've, I've been in that population. So I know exactly how that is. You know, I was the guy who said, "Yeah, but where's the research behind it? I don't care about your anecdotes and that people feel better, you know, because it, we know that that's also the mark of people who don't really know what they're doing. And they're trying to sell you crap is like, well, a- ask my guys how they feel. And I, I train a bunch of pros and they all feel like this helps them. And I'm like, well, yeah, I could convince anybody. I mean, you send me a pro athlete, I'll convince him what we're doing helps him. And if he believes in it, he'll go talk about it regardless of if it helped his performance or not. So I think that's the reason that a a lot of those people turn away from it. And I think the, as soon as things become on the cutting edge, there's always going to be that group of people who, who want the new thing, whether regardless of, you know, what it is, there's, there's always the people who the first people who jump onto whatever the newest thing is, you know, and they're looking for the next fad and the next fad and the next fad. Um, you know, those early adopters of everything, but they're usually the people who don't have a good framework of understanding. Like the basic stuff works really, really well. The simple things in training work really well. And for me, I'm always trying to communicate, like, I'm not trying to say breathing should replace train strength training or breathing should be, you know, pool training should replace your speed and agility training with your athletes. Um, but when you have the new age people who kind of jump in, it's because they, they want to be non-traditional. So they don't do strength training. They're against weight training. They're against all of the traditional stuff, the conventional stuff, I should say. Um, and I think when that population jumps into something, the conventional people are even more pushed away. This, they, they, yeah. they lean back on being the skeptics and they, I mean, I get reached out to people on Instagram all the time. Like, have you seen the research studies on ice baths post training and how it actually blunts the, the inflammatory response and decreases strength? Like, yes, I've seen that as well as the 5,000 plus other studies that we've reviewed and understanding the context of these things is important. But you know, that was the, that's the performance guy who's like, Oh, these people are stupid. All these Wim Hof people are stupid. I have a research study that shows ice baths decrease strength. So, I'm the smartest person and I'm going to get out there and show everybody. Um, and unfortunately that's just kind of the mindset I think a lot of people have. Uh, and I only, I only say that and know that because I was that guy for a long time. I was a yeah, I mean, skeptic.
0: I, I think you and I both were, you know, but I think that's also, again, that's the issue of when you look at the state of the field right now, it's what also keeps us, it, 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 it keeps us down, you know, because what you have to be able to do is accept the world as it is and you have to research a wide range of things and understand complexity rather than just things that are complicated. And for anybody, and that, thats the trick about strength and conditioning research is you can find that the closer you look at only one variable, the further away you get from understanding the entire answer. Because one like performance doesn't happen in a lab. Now that doesn't mean it shouldn't be researched, but it's amazing when people try to isolate a variable and then they try to extrapolate that into like, well, like you said, with the cold plunge, like it depresses, you know, markers of, of strength and this and that. Yeah. But what else is going on? Right. Like, and, and does it only do that when these other variables are at play or when you're in this controlled environment or what about these five other things? Like people just, and that's where it's, I, I think strength coaches need a background in economics as well. Cause you know, you look at trends, right. You look at economic trends, like, people are fooled by randomness all the time. And then they try to make concrete stats out of things that are so much deeper than they think they they are. And I think they also have to understand that the research in general is imperfect. Like yeah, for all the blowback on marketing and everything, don't forget that there are people that make their living based on publishing research. And it's, it's not, it's not crazy to say that there have been people that have fluffed all kinds of research to try to make their work seem more significant. So you have to look at research with a critical eye as well. Uh, And, but like you said, that's where people think, Oh, well now you're denigrating research. No, but these are the kinds of arguments and the back and forth that just constantly keep the field from being able to cross over. And, you know, you mentioned Jen, Jen Wiederstrom was on the, the, the show earlier and um, you know, she had talked to all it takes is one, somebody in the performance community to really get out of the hopper and show the wider world, like how we think and, and, you know, the the level of thoughtfulness we put into things and, you know, our true skills, and we can kind of get rid of some of these stereotypes that keep us from being more in control of our own future. But it's hard when everybody's fighting for one small little square footage of like expertise land, right? Like, uh, if something looks different, oh, PJ must be selling medicinal whiskeys, right? That's what's going to make <laughs> people feel better. Like, and it's kind of like, you, you just, you don't have time Toys discuss this and it is, I think it's always heartbreaking for me to hurt. I mean, I went to a business conference this summer and they said the same thing. Hey, we've never had a strength coach here before. And so when I hear strength coaches say, hey, we've got to do more and, you know, we're not in, in leadership positions within our organization. Well, it's hard to do that when you isolate your perspective so much and just want to get in these never ending arguments. So here's the thing I want to jump off on. Is you said, you five years ago, even would think some of this is BS. What is, you, what is something right now that you think is BS that maybe you five years from now may jump into? Like, is there something now that you really look at and you're like, it doesn't have to be that you think it's BS, but you're kind of looking at it with some hard skepticism. You know, what, what is that thing for you now?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I look at everything with hard skepticism. Unfortunately, I, I'm a natural skeptic, but I think – Good. Yeah. This process has been, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with being skeptical because it's it's easy to be blindly led into the next thing, and I think that's where a lot of us strength conditioning coaches are turned off by it, as we see the people just blindly following the newest thing. Um, I can't say there's anything off the top of my head. I know the biggest thing for me is, that I'm always skeptical of is more on the nutrition side because it since it always seems like there's something new that comes out in nutrition that's the newest. What about
0: What about everybody jumping on CBD right now? What do you think of that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, CBD, honestly, I've got a a CBD roller, a pain-free roll-on cryo-free CBD thing right here on my desk that I've been using, but it's got menthol in it that makes me feel better for a little bit. You know, it's basically icy hot. Um, I I can't speak to any of those things, so I'd say I'm always naturally skeptical, um, and I try not to judge the things unless I actually am willing to take the time to research it and and look into it and not just research it on research. Because that's one of the biggest things I've learned is research is great, but you have to take a a well-rounded evidence-based approach if you want to understand something. So you've got to understand the research, not only what the benefits of research are, but also its limitations. Then you've got to understand how people actually feel, the actual values of people that are using it, and, and knowing that there's a lot of limitations there. There's a lot of confirmation bias there, but there's also real anecdotal evidence there. Um, and the domain experts, the coaches and the doctors and the people who are doing this with people and how they're, what their findings are. And again, a lot of limitations with confirmation bias, but also a lot of uh, great anecdotal evidence. And, and if you can understand how those three things work together, then that's what creates the best, the best approach. Because a lot of times if we just wait for the research evidence, you're gonna be, you're always gonna be five to 10 years behind the guy who was saying, hey, I've been using this stuff with my athletes and I think it's really working. And you know, I always use the example of like the heavy sled pushes. If you looked at the research back when I was learning about speed training, anything heavy was gonna slow you down because they were doing research on elite track athletes. And then all of a sudden there's more and more stuff coming out, people, guys like uh, Joe DeFranco saying, Hey, I've been doing heavy sled pushes with my NFL combine guys for 10 years and they're getting faster. I'm measuring hundreds of guys and they're getting faster. So I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I'm doing this stuff and it's, it's improving their speed. Uh, And then now there's all this legitimate research coming out, showing that you can actually use heavier loads with resisted sprinting to improve sprint performance uh, in, especially in team sport athletes. So I I always kind of use that as a, a thing. Like, if you neglected that stuff because you just you just took the research, there was a guy who was getting way, really good results with people for a long time, and then all of a sudden, people said, well, maybe we should start looking at this and, and researching it. So um, I'd say I'm naturally skeptical of that stuff, but usually what I do is I reach out to people who I think have a good evidence-based approach. I've got some friends in the nutrition space that I know work with real people, read research, and get really good results so then i can reach out and say hey what do you think of this thing I'm like oh, the research on it is kind of you know hit or miss right now but i've been doing it with a handful of of this population and i'm actually getting really good results with it and that way i can kind of create my best approach um, but i'd say I'm, I'm definitely naturally skeptical but i tend to try to approach things with more of an open mind and not just excuse anything um, at face value
0: yeah, no, I think that's, a, here's the thing that I'm, I, I tend to get, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly, I, I think you have to be skeptical. I think nine out of 10 things are, are bullshit when people try to come up with some new training intervention or what have you. I think the thing that I'm skeptical on, and this doesn't apply to some of our mutual friends like uh, Kelly and, and folks like that, but I think people are starting to dive probably a little too deep into la-la land with some of the mobility stuff. You know, like I think that uh, I think that there's some tremendous stuff out there, and like I said, I I I love Kelly, and I think the work that people like him are doing are great. But now I'm starting to see people try to do some crazy stuff with introducing load and compromised positions, and saying that you know this this enhances mobility, and 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 some of it includes a bar on the back. And listen, man, I mean like. It's it's funny, right? Like w- when you look at mobility, like there, there's a degree where you're only able to make so much change because people have, you know, certain anatomical truths, right? Like bony landmarks, different different aspects of their anthropometry that you know all the all the soft tissue work, all the distraction work, all this stuff in the world, uh, you know, is only going to be helped to a certain point. But now it looks like we the pendulum is swinging farther, and this is very small outliers, but. When I see people like, let's, let's be honest, lifting weights through a full range, of motion, uh, uh, full range of motion, great mobility. Again, the stuff that Kelly and people like Kelly are doing, I think that's great. Like being able to teach people aspects of self-care. My friend Danny Mate, love it. But when I start seeing people like try to get people to rotate and twist and do things with bars on their back, like it, it becomes a little bit like, all right, like I'm open to it and I want to be wrong. But that stuff I do need to see a little bit more research on. You know, that stuff that I do need to, especially if we're sharing it on social media and things like that, I need to like, because you know, like the average person, there's going to be people like yourself and those like you out there that are going to look at something and they'll know how to implement it um, responsibly. But there's a lot of people that are still 13 year old Billy, Susie and Sally in the video game chair that are casual worker outers. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to put this bar on my back and do this and that. And I'm going to create more space. <laughs> Hip capsule. And it's like, you got to be really careful with what you're saying to people. You know and even yeah. more careful what you're showing and so that's the thing that I like I I guess what I'm saying is like my answer is I never it's not one thing to me it's when one thing gets taken so far to the end of the spectrum that you're like all right now now it's beyond self-empowerment and now you're like telling people to do shit well beyond the scope of what they probably don't understand and introducing load to it uh, that that's where it gets crazy to me does that make sense what I'm saying there
1: that's and I'm
0: in it just want to clear. A, I'm not talking about somebody doing a goblet squat, hold in the bottom, and doing a prying goblet. Like all about that. I'm talking about like axial loading type movements that involve kind of unique postures that most people probably can't manage to begin with. And now adding rotation. And again, I hope I'm wrong. Like I, I. Enjoy, that's a big thing, right, PJ? I think you and I share this in common because we talked about it. I'm at a point in my life where, like, I uh, with certain things, like, I, I'm totally okay being wrong because that means sweet, like there's something here I really need to dive into and, and learn more about like where in the past it'd be like, you know, you kind of get defensive about that because you feel like you almost have to take sides. And I think that's people in general, there's this book called crystallizing public opinion where it's like, people feel like they always have to wrestle for the hero hero or the victory of good over evil. But yeah, I just have a hard time feeling like, uh, you know, there, there becomes spectrums. And when it gets way too far on one end, with very little context or support, I get, I get worried. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I, I went on for there.
1: No, I was completely going to agree with you. And I think that's a conversation I've had a lot recently. I think people not understanding context, uh, you know, I think we as coaches certainly want to look at, at everything. You know, we want to dig, dig deep. We want to find those little esoteric things that might improve performance at the, the upper, you know, 2% of the population or, or guys who are with people who are, are very progressive in their training. But I think we, one of the things you said that was really important is we've got to be careful with the messaging and how it gets out there. Um, there are a lot of people on that, that set side that um, I've actually had disagreements with and not because I disagree with what they're saying in, in theory, uh, but the, the thought process that they're sharing is like, we need to stop putting people in a box of, of perfect movement. And, you know, I have a whole video series that I put out on my YouTube channel called you're doing it wrong. And it was really based on, I go to the gym, I see tons of people doing these exercises, and here's some really common mistakes that I find. I've trained thousands of people in my life. These are common things that I see a lot of people do incorrectly. And here's the the ideal form for most people. And that was the information I'm trying to put out there is who's the general consumer that's walking into the gym that has no idea how to do a Bulgarian split squat and doesn't need to understand that there's 27 different contexts to where you can put the weight on your foot and how, what your shin angle can be based on the improvements. But like they just need to understand that they shouldn't have their back completely arched and their uh, pelvis tilted forward and um, you know, have, have this huge split or whatever it is. So if you can find these kind of simple things, how can I simply communicate that with people? And will this help 95% of the people who are out there going to the gym? And that was my thought process on creating this whole video series in the first place. And then you have people who want to argue that there is no perfect movement and, and really is with the right prerequisites of mobility and strength. You can take a barbell and you can do a curtsy lunge and then you can take 250 pounds and you know, uh, laterally bend and touch the barbell to the ground and come back up. And actually there's these people in history who used to do this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree that you're probably correct. There's 1%, there's less than 1% of the population who has the requisite strength, mobility, and has taken the time to develop the capacity to do those things. But when you put that message out there to people on Instagram, you have to be careful because most people don't understand the context and that 14-year-old kid who sees that and sees you and you're big and jacked and doing all these things is going to think like, oh, maybe I should go try that because I want to develop that strength or, or whatever. But they haven't put in 10 years to get to that point. They don't know what those prerequisites are. So you just have to be careful with your messaging. And I think I don't disagree with what the message is. I just think you have to understand when you're putting things out there, uh, you've got to understand who you're speaking to and you've got to understand what the population is that's going to be taking this information. And if they, I'll give an example on, on our spectrum, when it comes to breathing, I love the Wim Hof method. I think it's a great thing. I think it gets people interested in breath work. It gets people interested in ice baths. It's extreme. It's on the extreme end of the spectrum. It's like a, uh, I always say that it's kind of, it's like doing a back squat. It's a great exercise once you're ready for it but it's not the first thing that I do with most people because 95% of the people who come into the gym are not ready for a back squat. They don't have the requisite mobility and strength and body control to, to do a loaded, a really good loaded back squat. So we start off with goblet squats and other movements and front squats and split squats and all these things with the hopes of, I'm going to develop you to be such a, a uh, well-rounded versatile person that we can back squat. Um, But you're just not there yet. And that's the thing when it comes to like, stuff like the Wim Hof method is there's not much context out there for people. It's just kind of like, here's what it is, go do it. But it is extreme. It's extreme breathing. It's extreme breath holding. We don't understand the contraindications and the limitations right now. Um, I've seen some in in practice anecdotally when we do some of these extreme stuff with people and a, you know, a 33 degree ice bath is extreme. So we're going to see contraindications that if you start taking those
0: 650 pounds on your back right but we know that that has been you do it well you know and that's that's a funny thing right like that's where i don't understand the disconnect like people will go nuts over certain extreme methods now is like you said it's got to be context rich and that's where that that kind of quote comes to mind where it's you know and i love it it's in sicario too he says you're asking me how a watch works for now just keep an eye on the time and you know like you've got to have context of what's going on here But when people are like, "Ah, I don't know about this, you're like, dog, you tell people to deadlift twice their body weight, you know, and for some people, that's just as crazy. Uh, Maybe not for us as strength coaches, because we have, you know, the knowledge of how that can be done safely and how it can be progressed. But think about telling the average person, I mean, when I went to your workshop, and I was doing some of the improv stuff with guys, you know, there were people that had probably hadn't lifted that kind of weight their entire life. I mean, could you imagine me going up to them and being like, okay, guys, now we're gonna deadlift two times your body weight and of course nobody would do it just like that but the the metaphor and the analogy and the point is is that like you've got to take into context of like how crazy is it really compared to the other things you're asking people to do and why wouldn't you at least just be open-minded enough to do it right like even if it is n equals one like great go get that experience like you know go get that experience so that at least you can speak to it because right now there's way too many people speaking to shit that they've never even tried
1: yeah yeah i agree and I, I just think that messaging can be can be dangerous, and you just need to keep that in mind when you you know I, I think when you when you're putting information out there and you're you're positioning yourself as an expert, regardless of if you're you say you're doing that or not, if you're regularly putting information out publicly, then you're positioning yourself as an information expert. That's at least how people are going to perceive you. Uh, I think that you you just have to be careful with your messaging, unless you don't give a shit. But you you have to know you know you can't just. Be, Put the blinders on and try to be ignorant and be like no i'm just helping everybody like no you're most likely nine out of ten people who are watching what you're doing and going to try to implement it are going to be worse off than they started because they're not yeah. ready for the things you're putting out and if you, if you're willing to accept that just know that that's what you're doing and, and accept it
0: Co- i mean coaching comes down to communication and context and i'm reminded about who my audience is almost every time i do Uh, an Instagram live. And this is why I think social media can be such a valuable tool for like coaches remembering who the audience is and and not getting too ahead of themselves. Every, you know, I'll do an Instagram live and I'm flooded with questions like what's the right way to squat? What supplement should I take? What? And I sit there and I like, I look at that and I'm reminded like, Oh, like this is why I shouldn't get too cute with like, it's a constant reminder of why you should not get, you don't want to dumb down your content, but you also don't you shouldn't go off the deep end and you can't make assumptions of who's following you because a large percentage of those people that are viewing those things and all that like they do not have the relevant context they don't and again that's kind of why i think i you know i gave the answer i did of what right now i look at and i'm like oh you know and and there's a lot of people that will react to this and be like oh are you talking about so and so so i'm talking about like whoever the shoe fits like if you don't put context to what you do and like you what pj said You're positioning yourself as an expert, which whether you think you are or not, if you're sharing on a regular basis, like perceptions, reality, and people are going to think, oh, that that guy's an expert. Um, You got to be a lifelong learner, but that comes from also knowing your audience. PJ, if people want to learn more about XPT, if they want to come to an experience, if they want to learn more about you, now you mentioned it. And guys, I will say this, PJ's YouTube is awesome. PJ is super responsible with what he puts out. Um, he never positions himself as somebody that like, oh, Hey, this is the only way to do it. Um, you know, if, if people want to come across any of your stuff and, and see more of you, how can they do that? How can they sign up for XPT? What do they need to do?
1: Yeah. Everything XPT can be found at xptlife.com. Um, you know, we have our, our social media, everything that XPT is XPT life. So on Instagram, on, on Facebook, on, uh, whatever the platforms are, uh, YouTube, and then me personally, I, have, I, I really just put most of my content on Instagram now. Um, I don't do much on my YouTube because I create the majority of the content for XPT. So that's a bulk of what I'm doing. But I have on my Instagram is just uh, at Coach PJ Nestler. So I put a lot of informational content out there. But everything XPT related, certifications, all that. We've, we've got online breathing certifications out now. Um, and we've got our experiences and our courses and everything. All that can be found on XPTLife.com.
0: Perfect. And as always, guys, I'll put that in the show notes. So make sure to go there and, and check out there's tons of discount codes down there as well, uh, for all different kinds of things. So check that out with the podcast, PJ, I feel like we've only kind of gotten into, I don't know, the surface of all this stuff I want to talk about with you, you know, you're somebody that I, I, I'm really grateful you're in the field, because I feel like at a time where I was lonely in terms of You know, just starting to realize that there's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur and a strength coach and an educator. Uh, You know, because you know, like a lot of that stuff. Sometimes in our field, people are just—it's—it's an old school field, and they feel like any kind of evolution is wrong. Uh, But you know, my friendship with you has just kind of reinforced, like, no, we're doing the right thing, and we're making a difference, and we're continuing to learn, and at least put ourselves out there, even if we are wrong. Like, we're the guys in the arena, and there's a lot of people out there like us, and. I, th- I think there's a lot of folks out there that want to do these things. And uh, is there any parting words of like encouragement of somebody that maybe is a strength coach that's listening that wants to put themselves out there more, but just is is scared of the blowback, is scared of the criticism, is scared to take that first step? Is there any kind of parting words of advice there?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing that that somebody told me early on is just think about if you can help one person you know people are afraid to put themselves out there because they're afraid of what the other experts are going to say but focus on the impact you're going to have if if whatever information you have can help one person or you believe it can then then fuck what everybody else says and just do it and what the worst thing that will happen is you'll learn and that's what I learned a lot was started putting myself out there and there was shit that I didn't know very well and I thought I did and I put it out and I actually learned a bunch from other people saying hey have you looked into this or looked into that so you know, most people, nine out of 10 people just don't have the guts to put themselves out there. Um, but everybody has the guts to, to try to tear everyone else down. So as soon as you have the guts to do it, you're already going to take five steps ahead of everybody else.
0: Love it, man. That's perfect advice. Well, thanks again, PJ, for coming on. I can't, I can't thank you enough. And I know everybody will get a lot of value out of this.
1: Yeah, thanks, buddy. It's great chatting with you.
0: Yep, absolutely. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, Glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, First of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, We have a free field guide. There's so many resources. I try to provide online free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, That is a great resource, it's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, All these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcast and all these other things, you know, they're... I can only share so much, and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, We donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things, and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and I hope you enjoy those resources.